0: the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO and co-founder of iRelaunch, and your host. Today, we welcome David Bomer, founder of career management advisory firm Banff Advisors. Prior to launching Banff Advisors, David headed up the global financial services practice for Hydric and Struggles. David returned to the U.S. in 2017 after three years in the London office, where he also led the financial services practice in Europe and Africa, as well as senior client engagements across the sector, including banking, payments, asset management, and fintech. With his deep background in executive search, David gives us the insider's view, including what actually happens in executive searches and how best to position yourself to be considered. David, welcome to 321 I Relaunch.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here today.
0: Well, we're excited to speak with you. And let's start with a discussion about the executive search industry, which many find mysterious. Can you tell us a little bit about it? What types of companies are in the industry? How do they work and how do they make their money?
1: Yeah, for sure. And it's a great question to start with because it's important uh, so that people understand motivations and, quite frankly, where. People spend their time where they make their money, to your point. Um, So the first way to sort of slice the industry is between what's called contingency and retained search. So contingency firms are paid when a placement is made. They Mm -hmm. tend to do junior to mid-level work. And companies, as employers, often hire many recruiters at once for the same role. Sort of a first one back wins the prize. Mm -hmm. Um, Those types of firms tend to feel more often like they are, quote unquote, working for you because they're actually trying to place you. They're trying to find a place for you. It's how they get paid. Um, that said, they tend to be quite reactive. That is, they tend to be less influential in shaping the role, shaping the minds of the hiring manager. It's more reactive to the need. On the other side, you've got retained search firms, which are often some of the big firms that you read about. And these are paid a retainer, and they're paid whether there's a placement or not. Uh, searches that go to retainer tend to be more senior, uh, often CEO, board, C-suite. They're often confidential or highly sensitive. And the process, rigor, and advice that those consultants give is almost as important as the landing the candidate itself. Uh, they tend to be more process and research heavy and take more time on those elements. So it's much more than let me just find you a warm body. And so for a candidate or as an executive or a job seeker, it's harder to get the attention of retained search consultants unless they have something live and relevant. You often will feel you're being ignored, no one answers me. It's they've got 10, 15, 20 searches going on at once. They're trying to work through with the client. Um, You know, when I was in that seat, I received five, six cold calls a day, about 10 emails a day, another 10 LinkedIn a day. If I took each of those and took time with each of them, I actually could never win a search, which means I'd never be useful to any of those people. So that's retained and contingency. You then have another way to split is the big firms, which we often call the Shreks, um, Spencer, <laughs> Heydrich, Russell, Egon, Cornferry, as your Shreks. I didn't do uh-huh. that until I moved okay. to London. Um, Got it. And then the boutique firms. And often boutique firms are people that worked at one of the Shreks and spun off to do their own thing. Uh, and then even within the big firms or boutiques, you have areas of specialization. And I think that's important to really understand. We'll talk about that probably later is, the uh, Just because you know a, someone or a consultant at a Hydric or a Spencer does not mean that Hydric and Spencer know you. That is, we tend to have as sort of franchise within larger firms, people tend to focus on specific areas, specific functions. And so don't make assumptions that everyone knows you or even that if you know Bob or Jim or Sue or Sally at a firm, that they're the right person for, for you to have a relationship with.
0: Mm-hmm. Very helpful. Thank you. And I, you just mentioned the Shreks and then the boutiques, the specialist companies. Uh, are, there are certain uh, firms that have particularly great reputations. Um, what makes the Shreks or, or the, um, the, the top boutiques the best ones? Is it their, their clients? Is it the way they approach the search? Is it the way they find the candidates? How does that part work?
1: Yeah, it really is. And I was, I was on the management committee of, of Hydric before we worked on this a lot. It's in the end, as much as you want to build a brand as a firm and certain firms certainly have certain cultures and types of people, et cetera. But in the end, what distinguishes one from the rest is really the individual consultant. There are certain partners, certain consultants at the boutiques and at the big firms who are well-known and exceptional in their specific areas. And so, um, where one of the firms might be amazing for one type of candidate with a certain kind of background, that doesn't mean that they're the right place for another, that is in terms of the types of searches they tend to do. So really it really comes down with the individual. And on the individual level, you know, what does good look like? Good often is time and seat. You know, it's a, it's a kind of industry. The longer you're in this space, the better and the more networked and the busier you are. Um, people that tend to have process that really think holistically about what the map of, of talent looks like. Um, and then, and then people that have built a brand through all this, you know, there are sort of those that are known as the CEO whispers or the board whispers or the fintech expert or whatever it might be. You really tend to build a brand in a specific area. Um, I'd say for an individual and your listeners here, you know, some consultants really do take the time to get to know candidates without having a search for them, sort of that proactive get to know. It's a good thing. I mean, it sounds like a good thing. But actually, if someone's doing that nonstop and never winning searches, they're not useful for you. So I think being aware there's this constant balance of, you know, spending time winning searches and executing those, as well as trying to get to know people proactively, and it's a tough balance.
0: Got it. So let's talk about the the relauncher piece uh, and executive search, because traditionally, relaunchers have rarely been featured on a slate of candidates presented to an employer by an executive search firm they have in the past been regarded as too risky. So I'm wondering whether you see that changing and if so, how?
1: Absolutely. I think it's a, um, so first of all, it is a tough avenue. I'm not going to lie about that. And it is a tough avenue because generally it's a risk adverse industry at the top. You're going to do what your clients want you to do and most clients don't pay to take big risks for them and they pay to know and get the safe choices. Now, mm-hmm. let me give you a couple of buts. Um, gaps. You mentioned gaps. When I started the industry 20 years ago, if anyone even took a month between jobs, it was critiqued and judged. Sabbaticals weren't a thing. There was a thing the you know, crazy Euros Australians and Canadians did. Um, you know, it, This whole notion of taking time and, and taking gaps and the acceptance, strange enough, really started to change, I'd say, after the financial crisis.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: and you know, what I advise people who have whatever reason to have a gap, they've taken time to be the family, whatever reason they go to travel is is own it. I think it's much more accepted and not viewed as a mark as it once might have. So I think certainly there's an evolution in terms of how gaps are perceived by both search consultants as well as hiring managers that does help here. Um mm-hmm. I think the other thing to be mindful of is, you know, executive search does tend to do on the retained side, does it to tend to do more senior searches. And so, you know, I think for the, it is important, um, you know, for the, the, the that you're speaking to the search people that do the right searches for you. And so whether you're relaunch or not, you have to be speaking to the right firm that does the right level of work that hasn't changed. And the more senior you go, the more less risk adverse someone is, you know, you're doing a CEO search. You want someone who's done it, done it recently and been successful. The more junior you get, the more willing the firms are to take risk. So I think that's something to be aware of as well. Um, the piece to me that's the greatest sort of chance, and, and I'm sure we'll spend more time talking about this because the thing I think makes the biggest difference is vouching. The thing that makes the biggest difference for a search firm and the perception of risk is if I talk to Larry or Jim or Elizabeth and she says, this person's amazing. Trust me, David, they're great. I'm going to introduce them. I, you know, We all pretend we're great at interviewers, and I'm sure we're great at interviewers, and, and we're fine in assessing. But in the end, I'm going to feel most confident about presenting someone and putting my name on them because someone I trust has said, they're good. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a whole, by the way, there's a whole negative side of that relative to biases and perceptions, et cetera, But you But know, getting into that quote unquote, they're good list with the right people, that is going to absolutely make the biggest difference in terms of swaying a cert firm's uh, willingness to put you forward and willingness to put their name on you.
0: Right. So just a couple of comments. Um, So in your discussion about gaps, uh, you know, the whole reason that we work at iRelaunch work with companies to create return to work programs and why many of them traditionally and still are structured as what we call returnships, where there's an internship, is because there was Risk attached, perceived risk attached to hiring a relauncher. But as time has gone by, more companies have these programs. They've been running longer. The conversion rates of people who are in the programs to getting hired when the program's complete are are high and and consistent. Uh, so we're starting to see some of that, some of that risk averse. Stance go away on, on the part of employers, but it has been a process, and it's occurred uh, in a time frame of over a decade. So I, you know, we see it from that perspective, and I would totally expect the executive search uh, business, and especially as you're saying, as it gets more senior, to be slower on the uptake. Um, than some of the companies that we work with that have these programs.
1: I agree, and I'm not sure that the intermediate the gatekeepers, the search firms, the recruits, et cetera, are as aware of some of those successes. So even advice I'd give you and, and your colleagues is um, how to make sure that filters down to the search firms, that they recognize these things are going on and actually the conversion is great and people are doing well. Um, I certainly didn't know that actually until the last several months as I started working with, you know, with with organizations and groups and recognizing that. So I think that would be my advice is make sure that filters to the search firm, to your point, because they're a little later on it. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I mentioned owning it. You know, it's interesting. I, it's not what I do. It's sort of write resumes, but I look at resumes all the time. And, you know, more often than not, and I think I never really took real note of it until recently, if someone left to, you know, spend time with family, or spend time for whatever reasons they left. Often, they didn't put that in their resume. You know, it was sort of a hidden thing. You had to do the math and the dates to figure out, like, wait, there's a gap there, and, and then it led to someone asking a question. It led to you sort of, you know, feeling almost like you were admitting something my personal advice is own it. I mean, own it and put it mm-hmm. on your resume. Um, and I know you, we've spoken about that before too, but it, it is certainly still, I think people almost sort of hide it and, and, and it gets to the point of, I have to admit that I took this time doing something different and certainly it's not time off. Own it. And I think, you know, people are interesting because they have interesting stories and in all these gaps, all these, you know, whatever the gap might be, has a story to it. I find personally when I interview people, the stories that people bring to the table make them who they are. So I my personal advice is just own it and put it out there rather than having this strange sort of I have to do the math on your years and ask you what you did. Um, I don't know. Just be upfront with it.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. And it's a great point. Uh, I'm glad you're also saying we should let the search firms know uh, more about these conversion rates. Because at iRelaunch, we work with the Society of Women Engineers on a very big multi-company return to work initiative. And we've got 33 companies involved so far. And we track a lot of data. Uh, Hmm hundreds of people who go through each of these companies has, um, well, 23 of them so far have launched their own return to work programs and the conversion rate is 86%. So, uh, and, and the wall street firms that we work with, which, most of the major wall street firms have a return to work program and so do the related financial services companies and, and rate and rating agencies and we're seeing there also conversion rates on average of over 80%. So uh, the record is consistent and strong and uh, we'll have to work on making sure the search firms know about that. So yep. that I'm going to put that down as something uh, for I Relunch to work on. So David, can you walk us through a couple of success stories that you've been involved with directly of relaunchers returning after a career break?
1: Sure. I think the first admission is we're working on it. Right. We're, we're, there's a lot of working on it. There's a lot of figuring out what actually sways decisions, experimenting, playing with different things. Where we've had success, and I've had success of helping people is let's call it in the. We tend to split this into phases, but the first phase is really the front end that is rebuilding a brand story and narrative, getting that part right. So there's been a great deal of success in just helping turn how someone speaks about what they've done, how they speak about what they can do, want to do, what they're good at, how do we start repositioning their brand when they're in the room, repositioning their brand when they're not in the room, which is more often not people make decisions on them based on a quick click on a LinkedIn profile. So there's been actually, I think, quite a bit of success of reshaping that where we're still working on and playing with the different avenues is that next step right so you've got this grant you've got the package this brand this package now what and, and where does the networking uh, occur um the search firms we've just talked about it's still a tougher slog because they're not motivated they're not incentive quite frankly to be presenting often unorthodox candidates the return to work mm-hmm. programs you mentioned i think certainly so far been where the sidewalk's moving right there's there's an institutional sort of setup there it makes a great deal of sense Mm-hmm. I think that when I've seen the greatest opportunity to really sway decision makers willingness to present someone back so I'm put someone's name put their name on someone it's you know what I call vouches we can call them referencing but it's someone that they know that they respect who says Jim, Harry, Sue is fantastic. They're good. And and I know that has all kinds of, as I mentioned, bias issues with it. But the truth is, that is the biggest thing. I can write a 10-page assessment. I can interview for hours. Maybe my client reads it, maybe not. But in the end, if I say, this person thinks they're good, and there's a mutual sort of respect and credibility there, that's the part that sways it. And so where we've spent a great deal of time, along with the return programs, along with really working on the narrative bit, is really building out that whole vouching network, either from existing networks and going back to those, really cracking the head open of who you spend time with, who's seen you in action, to creating opportunities to serve as advisors, to be seen in action, to sort of build that whole population of people that will vouch for you. And then ensuring that they know they're allowed to give your name. They know how to describe you. They know how to describe what you want. Um, You know, if you meet someone and they like you, um, that's a drop pass. That's a tie. That's not a win. That person, that voucher we're talking about needs to have your packet. They need to have it in three bullets. One bullet of who you are that hits all your beats. The second bullet of what you're good for that hits all the beats. And the third one is what do you want to do? That is not some general sort of broad in the sky description. It's very specific that someone can action on.
0: Wow. So David, you know, you're talking about something that we recommend for people when they are looking for a role directly at a particular company, they apply, then they find someone um, inside the company or they find someone who knows someone and that person vouches or gives a recommendation, their resume gets elevated and the process goes from there. So are you saying though something slightly different that not they almost have to be coached or told like how to talk about it. And so when you're asking someone to give you a reference, you need to almost give them like a script or something. Like, how does that work?
1: Yeah, about sort of, I've asked what are mistakes that uh, relaunchers or job seekers yeah. make? And it's going to sound more negative than I apply, but it, uh, sort of, it's relying on hope. What would I mean by that? Uh, I'm not saying be um, lacking hope, but it is, it is hoping that people understand what you do hoping that they connect non-obvious dots, hoping that they know they can give your name to someone. It's incredibly human nature to not give someone else's name away. You have to be explicit. So you need to be explicit that that person, those people who've seen you in action, that they know they're allowed to give your name. One. Two, you have to be explicit and hand them the keys to who you are and the way to articulate you because you hope that they can do that well when you're not in the room. It's, it's a lost battle right off the bat. And then the the question of, well, what do you want to do? It's everyone cringes. It's the worst question to be asked. It's miserable because you don't know, or you have 20 things you wanna do. You need to still have an answer to that. You might have 10 answers in your pocket and you gotta figure out which one to pull up for that situation. But those three things you have to have a tight answer to. And so when when, when thinking about you know, those vouchers, those key vouchers, one way to think about it is not only who's seen in action, but who's getting calls from recruiters and search firms? Because maybe they're more obvious. They haven't had a gap, or they've made some moves with recruiters, or you know, they tend to just be a brand name, or there's someone who's doing what you'd love to be doing. Those are the people you need to reach out to. Make sure they know their permission to give your name. Make sure they know exactly how to articulate you in quick hit bullets. Because when the search firm calls them and they're not interested in that opportunity, the second thing the search firm's going to ask them is, "Well, who would you recommend?" Um, when I was probably, a prior life in search, 70% of my searches, if not more, were solved not because I called someone directly, but because I called someone who suggested someone to me. Because my confidence in that person was always greater because of that vouch that I received.
0: Mm-hmm. Excellent advice in general, as well as for the executive search context. So thank you on that. Um. So can you talk to us uh, about how this can happen with a relauncher when they've taken a really long career break. Like you mentioned putting yourself, creating opportunities for you to be an advisor. So are you saying there's a longer process here and if you had a long career break, you have to have some some sort of a current or newer experiences to create those references? Or would you say, would you in your uh, in your former role, be interested in hearing a, a reference from someone's boss from 14 years ago? How do you look at that?
1: I would take a meeting with someone because, you know, that person's now a CEO. They're important. They say, hey, you have to meet this individual. I would take uh-huh. the meeting. Um, certainly even someone from 14 years ago, if it's the right person, the right credibility, um, the recruiter, the search consultant will, will meet the person at their request. We'll spend time with them that's fine. So that's one piece of it. That's again, back to me, that's a draw. That's not a win, but okay. That's step one. So I think very useful. You'll at least get in the door with that. What you were likely not to achieve with that, I think for your point is someone is, is the search consultant feel comfortable and confident that, you know, that they have the, the right read, the more current read that they can actually really put their name on you. So I think in that avenue, um, again, you're hoping at someone to be able to assess you. Not everyone's great at assessing, even if they do this for a living, um, so while you're getting the doors open with that 14-year-ago reference vouch, I think it's important to also have and figure out creatively who's more current. Maybe it's not-for-profit situations you're involved in, it was group, whatever it might be, who now who still has some credibility has seen you in action. Even if you think it's a small thing, it doesn't matter. Just someone that can say to that intermediary, nope, they're good they work hard, they're smart, put them in any, whatever it might be. You just need to, it's, you know, it's the Santa Claus list. You're on the good list or the bad list. You need to get on the good list because once you're on the good list, you're good. And they're going to introduce mm-hmm. you. Um, and I think the other piece is there is a bit of a game here and there's a long game. You know, people put their heads down and think, listen, I work hard for 20 years and, you know, think good things will come to me. It's not how it works. Yeah. You, know, you need to be constantly relationship building. And so as you're starting to come back, as you're relaunching, You know, you're getting to know some of the search terms. Find out if there's a way you can help them. Maybe you can, you know, introduce them to some people that they would find useful. Maybe you you are sourced because through your personal connections, wherever you have ideas of things for them, maybe you can serve as an advisor, as a mentor, as a coach to someone, whatever it might be. Find ways to be seen in action. Clearly, it's an obvious statement. People are going to be more comfortable if they've seen you in action.
0: Mm -hmm. So if you're uh, volunteering on a nonprofit board or you're very active in that organization for a period of time and you're working with other people who are getting paid, then that would be perfectly legitimate,
1: you're saying? Absolutely. And I think, and it's, you know, and, 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 you know, obviously, uh, usually people are going to choose nonprofit organizations and boards to be part of because they're passionate about the cause or passion, of what the organization does. I'd say another way to think about it is: who else is on that board? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if if there are people on that board who are connected and maybe their current execs in certain situ- in certain environments that you would love to be in or love to have kind of, they're going to see you in action in that boardroom. They're going to say, "Oh shoot, you know, she does, he does actually a really great job." Mm-hmm. So I think you can be even strategic. And I know that's often not the purpose of not-for-profit. You always want to be passionate about the cause and what you're trying to do. But if you're thinking about your career and thinking, of, you know, selfishly what you're allowed to do here is is be strategic about who else is on that board and what that does for you. Right.
0: Right. I totally agree with that. So let me just turn the tables a little bit and ask you about how to get into the executive search industry as You know, as an employee, like, what if a relauncher wants to relaunch into executive search? What makes them an attractive candidate to work at one of these companies or the the boutique firms?
1: Yeah, sure. I think um, something to be mindful of is uh, there's many levels and titles, et cetera, et cetera. But if you really slim it down, you're going to have the revenue generators, and then those that support the revenue generators, Mm -hmm. right? And so the partners and consultants getting hired in generally you're only going to get hired in if the perception is you can bring revenue right away um you can bring searches in relationships etc probably because you've done search before or because you're so well networked and a who's who that people will just trust you Mm -hmm. Um, that's going to be i think usually going to be a tougher level for relaunchers to come in then the the next level is those to support the partners and by the way like i grew up as a researcher i started as a researcher moved up through every rank in the organization and that's doing research, then it's starting to make phone calls, starting to get to know the client, the candidates, the clients, the network, and you sort of build and grow. I would I would think unless someone really does come in with the ability to drive revenue right away, these great relationships, et cetera, I think it's a wonderful business to start at, You know, firms call it different things, associate, engage a manager, analyst, whatever it might be, work for a partner who knows how to develop talent, learn the craft. Build credibility within rebuilding a network, and then you can move up quite a quite a bit. Um, and the thing to be mindful of there is some of the search firms do a great job of promoting from within, uh, and some don't. Mm-hmm. So being cognizant of who does that and who doesn't well. And then within that, some partners are really well known for mentoring and bringing people up, uh, while others don't. <laughs> uh, and so, but I think listen, I think it's it's the kind of industry uh, you know. From once you are at the sort of the partner consultant level, you can work from anywhere. You set your own hours, right? It's a it's a service business, so you're you know you're you are a little bit um, responsive to clients, and that can be odd hours at times. But generally, you kind of run your own show. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a wonderful business for the right people with the right mentality. You enjoy people, you like figuring people out. But it is a, a situation where I would advise starting at the non-revenue level, learning the craft, building credibility, because it's less likely you're going to get pulled in on the revenue generating sort of part side.
0: Right. Great advice. Um, David, we're finishing up right now, and I want to end by asking you the question that we ask all of our podcast guests, and that is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something we have already talked about today?
1: I'll nail this down again. I know I've said it, and, and I have said it already, <laughs> but it is, it's a part that I think just we get afraid to ask for things or it's be explicit. You have to be explicit. Don't assume things. Don't hope things. Mm-hmm. Give someone permission to give your name. Be explicit. You can give my name for searches. Go for it. Um, have your narrative tight. So you're either handing the reader or the listener answers to their checklist. What do I mean by that? Anyone looking at LinkedIn, your buyer resume has a checklist they're looking to answer. It's either literally a piece of paper on their desk or it's in their head. And if they can't find answers to that checklist quickly, they're gonna swipe you to the next LinkedIn, right? Mm-hmm. Or swipe to the next resume, um, whatever it might be. And so how you design your resume, your bios, your narrative, how you speak about it, think about what, are the, what industry, it's usually what industry are you in? What functions are you in? What have you done, achieved? And that's kind of it. It's usually three or four things. And so make sure that's pretty explicit. Don't hope they can go find it within the bio somewhere. So them the checklist, be tight on the answer of what you want to do, even if you have no clue, mm-hmm. even if you have no know, clue, fake it, right? have 10 answers in your pocket, figure out the right one is in that moment. You got to give them something. You got to give them a clue mm-hmm. and then leverage those vouchers. We talked about it again. If you don't have them, find them and convert them. Um, that's going to be the difference. I hate to say it. It's probably not how you interview. That will ultimately get you the job. It'll get you in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, the big difference is someone that really vouchers for you will back. Mm-hmm.
0: Terrific advice. David, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, can you tell us how people can find out more about your work?
1: sure we um we built a, a bit of a platform called talent it's a blog site i guess called talentbeta.com. it's talent t-a-l-e-n-t dash beta dot com, where we have a number of different contributors that are giving a little bit of the inside game inside thought some of the things i mentioned today are written there in various posts and um, we'll keep that going
0: very good thank you so much
1: my pleasure. Real real fun today.
0: And thanks for listening to 321 iRelaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, CEO and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. For more information on iRelaunch conferences and events, to sign up for our job board and access our return to work tools and resources, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcast platform, and be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Instagram, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.